These are the pillars of unity. And unity, when it is done as we talked about, and when you get this unity in a community of faith, this is what you get. John 3.16 For God so loved the world, the whole world, everyone, anyone, that a lot of people, that he gave his one and only son, his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And that's the truth, or is it? So what about other views and other beliefs? So where's the proof? See, without proof, then it really stands that every belief and every view stands on equal ground. And it's always been that way. In fact, what you just saw is is done by Focus on the Family And as our media department was putting this together, they went through and and looked at some places where this has been posted. And you'll be surprised to find out that there were a whole lot of people who put like as they saw it, but twice as many put dislike. And some of the comments that came up were this. First of all, it's indoctrination. It's brainwashing children. Secondly, it's exclusionary. We must open our minds to all sorts of truth, all sorts of, of beliefs. And thirdly, some wrote, it's a hate message. Now, I'm not sure how I fully understand that. And so the question is, where is the proof? Where is the truth of what we have just seen or has been communicated? Otherwise, all views, all beliefs are equal. It's always been that way. I mean, you go back to the the first century in any Roman-occupied city, and you will find a buffet of gods who are there and and actually have many many benefits, incredible feasts, access to the marketplace, and really sexy temple prostitutes. And you get to choose whatever belief you want. It's okay. Just don't exclude anybody else's. So now we begin to understand why Jesus, just before his death and his reported resurrection, so passionately prayed this prayer. John recorded this, a follower of Jesus, in John 17. Jesus said, The same glory you gave me, Father, I gave them. So they'll be as unified and together as we are, I in them and you in me. Then they'll be mature in this oneness and give the godless world evidence that you sent me and you loved them in the same way you've loved me. And now we know why Paul, who picking up on the heartbeat of Jesus was so animate in his expression when he said to his friends in this place called Ephesus, one of these Roman-occupied cities, he said this, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How we treat each other is the proof that Jesus, God in flesh, showed up and said, I love this world. Or it is the proof that he didn't. If we love each other in the same manner that you see Jesus loves us, it is the proof at that moment to those who are observing that God still loves this world. 
That is why we're spending four weeks walking through part of that letter that Paul wrote to this gathering of believers in Jesus in the city of Ephesus. And in that section we are reading, which we we call chapter 4, we begin with an understanding of, of how he builds this community of faith. And we started last week with the foundation. And of course, you begin with the foundation. We said the foundation is unity. And upon that unity, then we must have some infrastructure. We must have some framework if anything's going to be built. And Paul begins to tell us what that framework is. And I want to propose to you this morning that upon unity, that framework is truth. Truth has absolutely got to be built upon that foundation. Now, please understand, that without unity, no one cares about our truth. In fact, Pastor Jason just, oh, you can't get out. Pastor Don, come here. You see, otherwise it looks like this. Let's get in the light over here. If we're not in unity and we're trying to communicate truth about God and and our unity is supposed to communicate love to the world, if we're like this and we say, Jesus loves you, thank you. I always wanted to do that. It's my (laughs) brother-in-law. And that is, in essence, if, if, the observers see the community of faith and they're in combative formation against each other and then they turn and say, but Jesus loves you, who will believe? Judah Thomas relates this encounter that he had. He's a pastor and he says this, I was in the supermarket one day and a lady came down the aisle whom I could barely see over the top of her groceries. I got somewhat frightened because she seemed to be heading straight for me. She screeched to a halt within a few feet of me. She peered over her load, wagged her finger and said, I left your church. I left your church. Judah says, so I said, well, if it's my church, I think that was a very wise decision. Because if it's my church, I think I'm going to leave it too. She said, don't you want to know why I left? He said, no, not particularly, but I think I'm going to find out. He said, and I was right. She said, you weren't meeting my needs. I answered, I don't ever recollect seeing you before and let alone talking to you, let alone knowing your needs. Did you ever tell anyone specifically what your needs were? She couldn't recall that she had. So I raised another question. Can you tell me if we have 5,000 people sitting in that church, all with your attitude, how anyone's needs are going to be met? If you reserve the right to have that attitude, then you must give everybody the freedom to have that attitude. And if everybody has that attitude, who on earth is going to do all the need meeting? Standing her ground, she demanded, then you tell me who will. Relieved, I said, I thought you'd never ask. This is what will work when people stop sitting in the pew saying they're not meeting my needs and start saying whose needs can I meet, then the needs will be met. When the servant spirit flourishes in a congregation... Then they minister to each other as unto the Lord. So let's make it very clear now. The gathering of the community of faith is not like a hostess station at Outback, where we all gather trying to be patient, waiting for our turn in a crowded gathering to get served. That is a secular consumerism plan. Jesus has a much healthier plan, and this is his plan. Truth is carried 
by grace gifts. So I'm saddened to report to you this morning an untimely death, and we want to show it to you. No, not me. There you go. It says died from not forwarding that text message to 10 people. (laughs) Don't you hate those? Okay, so that's not going to happen, but I'll tell you what will happen. Truth dies when we don't send on the grace given us. And so Paul in his writings begins to express that to his friends in the city of Ephesus, and here's what he says. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And then the New Living Translation says this, however, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. So let me explain that to you a moment. I'm going to pick on Josh down here. Josh, I'm coming after you. You awake? You good? Okay. What Jesus is saying at this moment for you is that there is a grace that's been apportioned to you. That grace is not the grace that comes to us when we say, I need forgiveness for my sins, I need cleansing. That that is a grace, but that's not being talked at this moment. This specifically means, Josh, that Jesus is coming straight to you. And he is giving you abilities and talents. That when you use these abilities and talents, when, when you share them with the folks around you, you're actually sharing God's grace or his favor. They sense there's a God presence. There's a God love. There's a God moment here at this time. What is it that you do that you think in, in your abilities that communicates God's love to people? What do you do? What do you like to do? I'm catching them off guard. I didn't tell them I'm coming. Be friendly. If God has given you the ability of hospitality, of gracefulness with people, When you do that, and you do that with Jesus in your life, there's an amazing thing that happens. Suddenly, there's an awareness of God. They may not even know it's God, but they want to be near you because they sense it's there. So, Josh, you're a senior. Are you heading to college or workforce or college? So when he gets to the university, he doesn't have to worry about doing what somebody else does. He's just got to do what Jesus showed him he's got inside of him. And if he does that thing, and we sang it with Jesus in the center of it all, There is this this layer of gracefulness that comes around him. You say, well, can that really happen? Can that happen to me? Yeah, because here's what Paul says. He goes on to say in Ephesians 4, verse 8, that is why the scriptures say when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. And notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now, the thing that makes this possible for Josh and for you, he said, Paul said, he ascended. The Jews believed that there were seven levels of heaven. And Paul says, Jesus went above that. He superseded anything, anywhere, any place, any time. He has the supremacy. Now, if he means that he ascended, it also means he had to come from someplace lower, which means he descended. He came to this earth, put on our flesh, walked with us, felt our pain, took our sins, died for us, and rose again. So he said what you have is the ascended 
Savior, and you have the incarnate Savior, and from top to bottom, he fills it all, and Paul says, therefore, he fills everything that is, including you, that he puts into you grace so that as you fill the earth, you share that grace with others, and in doing so, he fills the earth with his presence, not just him, but in you that presence is felt. That is why when, when John Hamilton leads worship and, and you're, you're in the midst of that worship and you suddenly just sense this God thing going on, it's because somewhere in the past, before John was born, Jesus said, John Hamilton, good-looking guy, I'm going to give him music ability. Not because he has merit, not because he earned it, not because he deserved it, but simply because it's my choice. And if John will use that talent for me, people will feel my love. They will feel my grace. And so Paul says to us, each of us must recognize that grace in us and begin to use it. They say, I'm not very talented. There is something in you that is God-sparked. It is there. And if you will simply use it in your sphere of influence, the people around you will say, oh, there's a God thing going on here. They may not even know it's a God thing, but it's a thing they like. Pam and I years ago visited the Heathman Hotel in Portland, Oregon. It's a really classy place, really expensive place, and we had a really cheap coupon. So we, we went downtown Portland and got out of our car, and they parked it for us. And we walked up to the front door, and there's a doorman, and he opens the door, and he's got that really cool clothing on and the doorman wear, and he opens up the door and smiles and said, how are you this, this afternoon? It's so good to see you. Glad you're here. If you'll head just this direction, they'll help you there at the desk. We went in, and, and they were so professional at the desk and so friendly, so inviting. And then we went upstairs, and the room was gorgeous, and it was clean, and it was just nice. And, and so we were there and just changed clothes and decided to go out and get some dinner. We came back, and as we walked through, the same doorman was there. Doorman opened the door, and he said, Mr. and Mrs. Reisner, have a good evening. I said, Pammy knows our name. What did you do? We went out back and forth a couple of times that evening, and every time he called us by name, and I don't know why. I thought, what a classy place. We felt so welcome. We, we felt appreciated. We felt spoiled. We felt favored. Now, the thing about the guy at the door is that he wasn't the guy that stood behind the desk and check people in. He wasn't the guy who cooked the steak dinner in the restaurant. His job was to hold the door and to greet people. You see, whatever it is that you have, it is the thing that God has designed for you to be. And see, we need to learn this. Jesus at one point said, you know, we'd be smart if we learned some things from the world around us because some things are a lot smarter. Just think that all of us understood what our grace gift was, because I think you have a pretty good idea, and you just began to use that wherever you are, because if we all are functioning in that manner, people, when they come to the community of faith, will say, oh, I, feel, I, I, I feel welcome, I, I feel favored, I feel like they want me to be around them. Now, the thing you got to understand about that doorman is that he just didn't walk up one day off the streets of, of Portland, Oregon and say, hey, I think I'll hold doors for people. 
and just grab a door and say, you guys got some clothes I can wear to do this? And a lady behind the desk, she wasn't once somebody who stood on the other side of the desk and said, hey, nobody's behind the desk, I'll do that. And she stood back there and did the thing. And the the lady that cleaned the room, she didn't say, you know, I like cleaning the rooms, but my schedule is better at four in the morning, so I'll just clean them all at four in the morning. That's not going to work. Those people had to be trained. Somebody had to orchestrate all of that into one motion of serving. So here's the truth. Truth is conducted by one motion of serving. See, there is this mistaken thought within the body of Christ, within the church of Jesus, universal and in America and even local, that says this, I understand my giftings and my abilities, so I will do them when I want to do them, where I want to do them, how I want to do them. And I understand that. I'm so glad that you want to do that. But we all need to understand that there has got to be an orchestration with this. I mean, it'd be like, like John Hamilton leading one song, Rick Graziano at the piano playing another song in another key. And, and Don Detzel at the drums deciding he doesn't want to play at 10, he'll come at 2. And so he starts drumming at 2. I'm using my gifts. It doesn't happen that way. Let's do this. I'm going to give you a couple seconds. I want you to think of one of your favorite songs. And it may not even be a favorite, it just may be the one that sticks in your mind that you could actually say out loud. All right, you got one? On a count of three, I want you to sing it loud. Will you? Okay? You with me? Anybody who doesn't, the person next to you is going to report you and you owe me 10 bucks. You ready? I'll sing one, too. Are you set? You got it? One, two, three. Oklahoma, where the wind comes waving down the plains, where the waving wheat can sure smell sweet. When... Okay, you good? How many sing Oklahoma? Oh, that's a great song. That doesn't work. Let's sing this. You know Amazing Grace? Sing it with me and give me four-part harmony. Ready? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. So, Paul says, when Jesus ascended, he came like a king, and this was tradition, he came like a king who had just had a victory, and with him in his parade, he brought the spoils of war with him, and he gave those spoils to his warriors. And he says, here's what he gave. Paul writes in Ephesians 4.11, Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility, I catch this, responsibility, that means they are on the hook with Jesus. 
Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. See, in the same way that every believer is gifted by Christ with varied grace gifts, this community of faith here and universal is gifted with varied gifts of grace called leadership. And that leadership's uh, job is to train and orchestrate in one motion of service. So we're not all doing stuff and we're doing it for Jesus, but nobody hears it or sees it. But there is this wonderful movement as we just heard. So when Jesus met Peter and the Thunder Boys down at the lake, they were, as Jesus called them to follow him, they were working on nets. It said they were mending the nets. The word is mend, and it actually is the word equip. The word that Paul used means to mend the nets or to fix what is broken. Jesus gives grace measures to the church called leadership whose responsibility it is to fix what is broken and to orchestrate how we are using each individual grace gift. So, see, the news is this, that, that when I get my grace gift from God and I recognize it, when Josh got his and when you get, when you know what yours is, it didn't come with perfection. And so he says, I bring this leadership to help us to, to work and, and, and function and fix what's broken in us so that those giftings can work in their perfection. But the church is not perfect. You know that. The church, if you're trying to find a church that's perfect and you, and you find it, don't go there, you'll ruin it. Because the church is not perfect, but their leadership comes to try to fix that which is broken. So he says, I give them the ability and the authority and the responsibility to lead so that we are fixed up and we orchestrate what we're doing together. So he says, I give you these. I I give you apostles. I mean, what are apostles? they alive today? You bet they are. Apostles govern. These are the fathers of the faith. They attract and they birth other leaders. They oversee many churches and and give direction. They are the fathers and should be respected as such. Prophets. Prophets guide. This is interesting about prophets. Prophets see what others do not. They hear what others cannot. And they say what others will not. They can go under the surface of what you and I see and see facts and understandings that we cannot see, and they will call them for uh, an agenda and and, uh, an action step and call us together and rally us and say, now, here's where we go. Evangelists. Evangelists gather. These folks carry a passion that people just need to meet Jesus. And they are able to communicate it in a divine manner so that it is clearly understood and there is this pull. There is this miraculous thing about when they communicate. I sat in Portland, Oregon in a stadium downtown and sat there and listened to Billy Graham give a very simplified talk about who Jesus is. And then at the end, he said, how many would like to put your faith in Jesus? And I was astonished as thousands stood up and said, we want to put our faith in Jesus. 
because he is an evangelist. With him comes this miraculous thing that happens. It was a downpour, as it is in Oregon, all the time. And it was downpouring on the day of the second, the second gathering in the stadium. And about 6 o'clock, when everybody's supposed to gather and to get ready, and the thing starts about 7.30, the storms are rolling in, and suddenly, right around the stadium, the clouds separated and went around the stadium the entire night. I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't been there. Because we were Oregonians back then, and, and just like we expect lake effect here, we ex- they expect rain there. And it just, God just did this. And you say, well, bring an evangelist here during lake effect, and let's just see if it divides. That'd be good. There was a lady driving down the major highway through Portland, I-5, and she's going down, and there's a lady that pulls out in front of her, and on her car, there's a bumper that says, follow me to the Billy Graham crusade. And the lady said, I don't know why, but I just did. I followed her. We went off the highway, she said, and we went down these roads and, and finally ended up at the stadium. And she said, miraculously, because this is impossible, I found a parking space close to the stadium. So she got up and she wandered in, and you're supposed to have some tickets to get in because they pass them out to friends, and, and she found one in the trash. So she walked in, listened to Billy, and put her faith in Jesus. There is this wonderful thing about evangelists who have such a passion to share Jesus that God just wraps around the supernatural around them, and miraculous things happen. So I give you pastors. Pastors guard. Pastors father a local community. Pastors nurture to growth and discipline when it doesn't happen. They, they, they heal and they rebuke. They're the local daddy. Teachers, and many times pastors and teachers can be the same person. Teachers ground. They ground the community of faith in the knowledge of the Holy Scriptures. They have this wonderful ability to understand the scriptures and communicate them so clearly you go, aha, I get it. All of these are gifts to the church to fix what is broken and to move us all in one unified direction. Why? Paul says, really, his intent is so we don't act like this guy that last week played in the Australian Open and was a little bit frustrated. Take a peek. Go for it again. <laughs> Hang on. I think he got it, it, but he's not done. You can hear the crowd. There's a huge number of guys with the Cypriot flags that have been supporting him for years here. Took that one away. <laughs> I think that one's done as well. Yeah. Hang on. Brad, meanwhile, singing and chanting and loving it. (laughs) That's four, if you're counting. Jesus said, I don't want my body to do that. He said, you can't be that way. I've been in places where the community actually acted like that. I was actually sitting in a council meeting, not here, in another state, 
or a guy came in and tried to jump the table and punch out the pastor in Jesus' name. He was doing it because it was right. It was Jesus' thing. I know a group of people who so disliked the leadership of the church because they were a new leadership and they, and they didn't like them. And, and, and so they actually, and I'm going to tell you the truth, they actually got somebody to sneak in the offices and they put listening devices in the conference room in the pastor's office to try to incriminate him with some evidence against him. He found out because one day the, the music guy was in prayer and God said, there are listening devices in your, in your offices. And he went to the pastor and said, I think there's listening devices. He said, there's no way. They went in the conference room, looked behind a mirror, and there was the first one. They went to the pastor's office and found one behind one of his books. These people were so angry in Jesus' name that they went to the major newspaper, which is a newspaper read around the world, reported that they were angry in what they had offense against, and went to the newspaper so they would publish it. And so they published it. And one whole page of this major newspaper, there's this big picture of this group of people who are, who are angry. And they're standing there with stern looks on their faces. And it says they're followers of Jesus. Well, let's hit our racket a few more times. They weren't followers of Jesus because Jesus wasn't heading that way. In fact, this is where Jesus is heading according to... To Paul, Ephesians 4, verse 13, he says this, This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We won't hit our tennis racket, and we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so cleverly they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. As the leaders equip, fix what is broken, point the right direction, and everyone uses their grace gifts, we become grown-ups. We become a grown-up as a community. And truth is exposed by grown-up, by being grown-up. So let me be clear. Unless we are grown-up in the way we deal with each other, people will not see Jesus. I mean, would you go to that tennis player for advice on conflict? Would you go to a community of faith about love if they're battling each other? In fact, the equippers are coming and, and are here to help create a unity of knowledge that so we all learn together who Jesus is and we grow in that. We grow in our knowledge. And once we become unified in that knowledge of who he is, he says, then we have a unity in our faith. Unity of knowledge brings us to a unity in our faith. And unity in faith is vital for us if we're going to follow Jesus because he said, when two or three agree on touching any one thing, it shall be done. The unity is vital for us to see our prayers answered. The unity is vital for people to see the love of Jesus. Our problem is this, and the danger we face is that we become so busy in our culture that not only do we not have enough time to be together, then we don't have enough time to learn together, and we don't have enough time to apply it together. 
We know more about American Idol than we do about what God thinks about our own idols. No wonder we keep dealing with the same issues over and over and over again. And I'm going to tell you from a pastoral view how frustrating it is. And then we have patience. And if a person is battling through something, we will walk with you. But it is a shame to see you that we battle through the same things over and over again because we won't grow up. Because we don't understand what the Holy Scripture said. And nobody helped us apply those. How vitally important that is. He said, if, if, that, if, if we don't take care of that, then we are like a, a boat on the ocean going back and forth and back and forth, and we never become stabilized, and we open ourselves up then to be, to be tricked, to have someone come and say, this is the truth, and it's really not the truth, and we follow it in the wrong direction. Here's the problem that we face. Most of us look at the world and say the truth is the way the world is now. That is why... The culture yells to the church, and the church begins to bend, and we begin to say, well, yeah, probably every religion could run to God. Or we would say, tolerance of anything is better than conflict. That, that you can't just stand on your own and say it's the only way, because then it's exclusionary, and, and you're not being re- receptive and very loving. Marriage doesn't work. Do what you need to do to survive. But you got to understand that when it comes down to truth, the truth that we're building on this foundation of unity is this, that truth in God's kingdom focuses on what the world is to be. So then, last week when Paul said Jews and Gentiles are to be united as one, it is not status quo when Paul's writing that for Jews and Arabs to hang out together. But he's not saying do what the world does now. He's saying do what the kingdom of God is going to make the world look like down the road. Now is your chance to do it here and now. Because when you pray, come your kingdom be done, your will. When you read that, that Lord's Prayer, you are saying whatever the world is going to be when Jesus finally puts it all in order, we as believers in Jesus now will put it in order here in our community of faith so those in the world will look at it and go, what is that you're doing? How can you love each other that way? How can you have those, those guidelines and those principles? Because you say by your very actions that this is the way the world eventually will be and we're doing it now because we have that life right now and so we live according to what it will be in the future because we can do it right now. We live how the world will look when Jesus is Lord over everything because right now he is Lord over us. Paul said that's being grown up. So here's the deal. We are not grown up until we live like Jesus lived. And when we do, Paul says, then the body grows up into the head. It no longer looks like this really mature head and an infant body, but instead it is now proportional to the head. The body matches the head. Pam and I have some friends who've been married several years and they have marriage issues, as we all do, except us. We don't have that. So they, they started attending a, a faith community, not in this city. This, this faith community is very much into being mature in their understanding of scriptures and applying it and being unified. And so when they went to the church, they realized that this, this church really wants to mature. So to hang with those people, the expectation is that you'll mature too. Now they had this pattern in their marriage, and I'll simplify it. It was simply this. She liked to push for what she wanted. She was rather selfish in that respect. And she pretty well figured if she wanted it, God wanted it, so it's God's will. So she did. He would get offended at it, but he grew up in a family where you don't confront issues, so he would just clam up 
and leave the house. She would push for a resolution and he'd say, I'm not going to deal with it. So he would leave anywhere from an hour to a couple of days and she wouldn't even know really where he was. That's not real healthy. So they became part of this, this, this community of faith and, and that happened. She pushed and pushed and pushed and, and he left. Well, and then she called one of the sisters in the church and said, hey, that's what happened, and woe is me. And the sister came over and said, we'll take care of this. And so she got a hold of some of the guys, and the guys went out and chased him down. They found him. He said, no, 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 you don't do that. You're a follower of Jesus. You can't do this. Come on, we're with you. Let's go. They took him back and sat him down. The ladies brought her in, and they said, you can't be this way. And the guys met with him and said, here's how you respond. The ladies met with her and said, you've got to stop pushing so hard. And they began to deal with it. And one of the elders came in, and he began to work with them, and he got them to the place, and it was his goal to make them fight. And once they started fighting, he said, now stop. Let's deal with how you're communicating, and let's solve this issue. They wouldn't let them get by. You know what they were doing? They were speaking the truth in love. And that's what Jesus said we have to do for each other. And that's what we are doing here. If you're uncomfortable with that, I'm sorry. No, I'm not really sorry. Because it's the way Jesus designed it. You can't, you can't go and do one system that the world says and Jesus' system. You can't do that. So I've been doing this, this pastoring thing for about 35 years. And to be honest with you, I'm worn out with people dictating how the church should be shaped. I think we should be in agreement that we're ready to allow Jesus to dictate how the people in the church should be shaped. Thank you. If I'd have said Steelers Rock, it would have been louder than that, but that's all right. So I close with this. I, mean, I know this has been a teaching that is going to take a while for you to process, and, and, to, and hopefully you will process it. We've got the foundation, and, and here's the deal. We, we have got to speak truth, and we've got to process this together. So here's, here's my assignment for you. I have a question. Where is it that you hang out not just your individual self, because i, I got to be honest with you, this whole thing of private devotional life is wonderful because I do, I do mine in the mornings and I take up my scriptures and I listen to worship music and I write in my journal. That's all good. But when the scriptures were actually be, being given in the New Testament, it was done in a group setting and they talked about it and said, so what are we going to do and how are we going to apply it? And we hold each other accountable in the process. So where is that group for you? Where is that class? Where is that small group? Where is that mentor? those group of people. Where is that where you honestly talk about the Scriptures and study them? Because if we don't, then we're no better than any other group. And not better, but, but more. I'm just telling you, either Jesus is real or he's not. And he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. And the world looks at us and says, well, we don't think you are because we're not evidencing it. So I, I, I don't want to rebuke you. Well, I do. Um, I, I just want to say this. We've, the time is now. We've got to learn what the, what the Scriptures have to say. I walked up into a, a group that meets. It's a small group that meets on Sunday morning, and they were they dig through the Scriptures every every week, and they keep coming and saying to me, Pastor, you've got, you've got to hear this in this study, and they want to share it with me because they're just so pumped about it, and they talk about it. Where is that place for you? And if you don't have a place, we can help get you to that place. Because here's, here's what Paul said, and this is my warning to us. He said, if you don't understand that truth and study it together, 
The day will come when someone will come to you with a truth that is not the truth. They said it's the truth, but it's not, and you'll believe it, and you'll fall. That's what he just said. And, and in our age, it's getting worse. In the age of this world, it's getting worse. And it's going to be easier to be tripped up and tricked. So you've got to see what the Scriptures have to say because that is the truth. The Scriptures are God-breathed. So where's that place you go? And if you don't have a place, call the church office. We'll help line you up. Now, if you're in a spot like that, in a place, then I want to encourage you to do this. I want you to decide as a group that you're going to press in deeper in understanding truth and applying it and holding each other accountable so that you can then let the world look at us, the culture look at you gathering together, and they won't see you, but they'll see Jesus. And they'll hear you repeat those wonderful words by your very lifestyle because you say it loud and you live it loud. And so we're going to end with that. Please stand. And I just want us to declare this is what we will communicate by our very lifestyle and who we are. It's what those children said and what we will also communicate. I want you to repeat with me John 3.16 and then... Don't forget the wow. Are you ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Ready? Wow. All right. That's good stuff. So now may you leave this place infused with joy, challenged by truth, in intent on seeking God through his scriptures and becoming a transformed person. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. God bless you. Have a great week.